Welcome to the Everyday Lions podcast. I'm your host, Brian Lyons. This week's episode is with Russ Foley. I have known Russell for a number of years. I actually knew Russell busking at Salamanca many years ago when his children were playing their musical instruments down there. And I didn't realize that it was Russell Foley until we struck up a conversation about distance running. I soon put two and two together and worked out that he's one of Tasmania's best ever distance runners. Russell has run 62 minutes for the half marathon. He has run a 2.15 marathon. He won the Melbourne Marathon and was third in the Gold Coast Marathon, which happened to be the Australian Championships that year. Russell is a great bloke. I think you'll get a lot out of this podcast. If you did enjoy it, please reach out to Russell and let him know. I have been Brian Lyons, your host. This is the Everyday Lions podcast, and happy running. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Everyday Lions live webinar tonight with Russell Foley. We've had a few technical issues at the moment. We couldn't get uh, Russell's picture up. But you've got my mug instead, I'm uh, sorry about that. So, uh, Russell has some very impressive personal best times, uh, having run low 29 minutes for 10K and a 2.15 marathon. In 1989, he ran his PB for the marathon and finished third in the Gold Coast Marathon in the process and uh, I think was the third Australian home in that, in the Australian title. In 1991, he represented Australia at the Marathon World Cup. We'll be discussing all these personal bests and more. These days, Russell loves his Guinness beer and uh, watching his talented kids who are great musicians in their own right. Are you there, Russell? Yes, good, good to see you. Oh, I can see you, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, mate. Uh, how's your day been? Oh, it's been pretty good. I'm, on, I'm actually on holidays at the moment, so... I've been doing um, sandpapering at the house around the balustrades, 40 metres of it. So it's been a tiring day. Oh, wow. Productive, and though. Oh, jeez, mate. And that's still in Hobart? Is that, is that where you're still living? Yeah, yeah. Best, living on the best island. And uh, uh, northwest coast is pretty good, too, up there. But it's lovely down here. Yeah, Hobart. beautiful. No, no, the Northwest is, uh, is, is very nice. We're very lucky. I think we've, we're very lucky in Tasmania in general. Uh, so, do you still run these days, Russell? No, I'm afraid not. I, um, I developed a, a hole in the meniscus on, the, one, of, on one of my knees oh, quite a few years ago now. Um, it was a bit like, it felt like I'd run his knee. And uh, I sort of um, would go through the normal physio to try to get it fixed and it, it settled down a bit. I'd increase my training again, then it got sore again. Then eventually I went and saw um, Steve Reed, one of the uh, sports doctors down here in Hobart, and he, he had an MRI and he said I developed a very small hole in the meniscus just on the knee in a really bad spot where it meant it's basically bone on bone. And it just happened to be the same spot where you get your patella you know, sort of the same sort of symptoms. And uh, he basically said, there's nothing you can do about it. Wow. Um, he, he said, it's one of those things, if you stop now, you won't get arthritis. But if you keep going, you'll, you could really have long-term issues. So it was a real um, blow. Um, and somewhat, it was good to find out why I was, what my knee was, having these issues with the knee. 
and it, it's just one of those things that can happen naturally. It wasn't anything to do with um, training or um, these days they could probably fix it with stem cell. Okay. Um, but back then we're talking, I'm not sure how many years ago since I stopped, but it's been quite a while. Um, back then it just wasn't an option. Right. So unfortunately to answer your question, I'm, I'm not running. I, I just do a bit of walking. Yeah, and do you miss the running now, or did you quite obviously you would have missed it in the beginning? But oh, definitely. When it first, when I first missed it, um, oh sorry, when I first stopped, it really was a a blow because you tend to have your life around your running, you know, your training, and um, you know the times you, you put aside for your training. You know, you a couple of hours a day. You know, the time you travel places like that. Yeah. All, all of a sudden, I thought, gee, what am I going to do? You know, it was just one of those uh, things that happened. And, uh, and, I, and over time, it sort of, um, don't, you know, I don't miss it now. Yeah. But for a while, I definitely did. And it's just sort of over time, other things take up your time. And now I just don't know how I would have had the time to, uh, to do all that training. It's just, yeah. uh, you, you just fill up your life with other things. Yeah, and I could imagine it'd be a massive adjustment. Suddenly you're training 14, 16 hours a week and then you've got this massive hole left in your life. Yeah. Yeah, and how did you get into the running anyway? Uh, when I, came, I, I was basically born in the UK and um, my parents, and so just before I came, I started running in, in England um, and uh, you know, had lots of cross-country. Running was quite big there. And then I, I came, we, we were the last of the 10 pound poms that came over from England. There was a family of six, me and my mother, father, and uh, three younger siblings. And we paid, my parents paid 10 pounds and we came over on the Hellenist, the, uh, which is a Greek liner. So we had a six week cruise to get here to Australia for 10 pounds. And uh, anyway, that was a great experience in itself. But when I arrived here, I basically started grade seven and um, there was athletics there so I started doing athletics plus soccer or football and uh, you know I used to play sort of state level um, so on the 13s on the 14s on the 15s um, and so I was trying to do both running and playing soccer but when it came to about grade 10 I realized I didn't really want to get injured you know, so I was playing um, soccer, but I was trying to pull out tackles and stuff like that because I thought I was going to get injured, and that's when you will get injured. So I, I decided to just focus that point on to, into, to running. Right. And were you a natural runner when you were playing the soccer, or was that something that you've developed playing that sport? Um, I think I've always had endurance because, um, you know, when you're playing soccer, you know, it's... I'd often be doing both. I'd train and, and also do the soccer training. So I, f I found that um, being fit helped for the soccer. And, uh, and I, just, I sort of had this urge to keep, um, you know, I was quite happy to, to train hard. Um, it's something which wasn't, um, I didn't have to sort of force myself to do it. I quite enjoy, you know, I enjoyed doing the training. So it meant I was able to, uh, um, you know, train consistently, which at the end of the day, consistency is the most important thing for your, for your training. You know, if you can train, you know, at least six times a week, you know, then it's, it's going to build up. And uh, that's basically what I did. 
Yeah, great. No, it's a, that's a great point um, to touch on, isn't it? It's it's like it's like anything. If you uh, if you train hard enough or work hard enough at it, you you become better, don't you? Yeah, you got to recognise that when you're tired. In some ways, you know, you, you push yourself, but there are times when you do need to have a bit of an easier day. If you have, and that's often when people do get injured because they they think I've definitely got to do this, say ten miles, whatever. Whereas really, if they could just cut it back to five, then the next, you know, they could perhaps avoid an injury. So, you know, obviously to train really well, you've got to better read your body, let you know if if if, if something's just a niggle, whether it's going to get a little bit worse if you push too hard. Yeah, and is that something that you did? Did you have a scheduled day off in your program, or you just went by feel? Um. Well, you're probably you know Albert Johnson. Uh, you know, it was a big influence on my, you know, running career, obviously. And so he always, he had a, he would all of a sudden say, have a day off. You know, he was, he would be able to tell, um, even though I might have not wanted to have a day off, uh, you know, he would um, often say, it's good to have a rest. Whereas, you know, like obviously when you're trying to get to, you know, to a certain level, you know, you tend to think in your mind, I've just got to do more and more and more. Um, but, you know, it's it's good to, to every now and again be told, no, hang on, just ease it back a little bit because you you you've got to, your body's got to be able to recover for it to better sort of improve. Yeah, yeah, definitely, isn't it? The the um the intervals get you fit, but the recovery is where um the adaptation starts to happen, which is a great point to touch on. Yeah, yeah, and you mentioned Albert Johnson, so. You left soccer and you started running. Um, was Albert in, uh, from your career from the start when you started yeah, running? Yeah, he was pretty yeah. much so. Like, like uh, he came over from England. Probably might have been a little slightly a year or so after I did, possibly. So I, I don't think I came in touch with him until I'm not sure if it was grade nine, grade ten. Um, I can't remember exactly, but I never. We used to. Um, I used to go to Truna High School, but my, I used to live at Gnorky. And my, my mother was a, a teacher in uh, sort of Sandy Bay, so it was better for me to go to that school. And uh, we used to train all the way out at um, Claremont somewhere on an oval. And, and I, because I was in the northern suburbs of Eddie Club. And so, and he, one day he turned up and wanted to, you know, to be, uh, you know, get involved with distance runners. So I went a lot, you know, I was more more middle distance distance runner. So I sort of um, saw him there and, and uh, joined him. I was probably well, yeah, I was probably one of his first. And, uh, you know, we were training all the time. And then the end of the, uh, the summer season, he couldn't believe it that virtually everybody else left. Yeah. Except for probably me and a couple of others. Because over there, you know, the, the mentality basically was that you'd play, you'd do athletics in the, the summer, then the winter they'd go off and do Australian rules or some other, you know, some other sport and then just not run at all. And, and that was a bit of a shock for him. Yeah, well. Because, because in England it was more of a, 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 you know, what do you say, a higher level sport in the sense that it, in a sport in its own right. Whereas here, I think back then it was a bit of a fringe sport. Yeah. So because I persevered with him, um, he... Uh, he kept going as well. Like, I think he was a bit disappointed that all these people disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> so me and a couple of others, you know, hung around. He must have thought, well, you know, I'm a, you know, I've got to keep going for these young lads. And so he did. And, uh, 
and over a long period of time, he just his, his squad sort of got so his stable, as they call it, um, got bigger, and um, you know, and you know, was really successful as a group over you know, a long period of time. Yeah, great. I've um I've met Albert a few times, and he's a lovely guy um, when he was alive. And and what sort of influence did he have on your career? So he got you quite young, quite obviously, and would have been a massive influence when you're only very young. Yeah, he was, he was more than um, just a running coach, though. He was, uh, you know, he was more of a, a general life mentor as well. You know, he was, he was, he was a really lovely bloke. Um, he used to be uh, a mental, uh, he used to be a, um, a nurse, a, a sort of psychiatric nurse at the Royal Durham Hospital. That's where he, uh, where he, and so he was often working at night shift. You know, I never used to go out as a youngster and I would perhaps might be at the casino at two in the morning, I'd give him a call and I, you know, I'd speak to him on the phone and he would be there sort of thing. And so he was always uh, available. And so, yeah, for Jim, you know, he was a very good influence overall in life. Um, yeah. Character building and stuff like that. Lovely fellow. Uh, he, uh, you know, he was a, a race walker in his, his day. He, he was, I think he was in the nine, so at the '56, when they had the Olympics here in Sydney, he was he was he, he walked for the UK then. Um, so he's someone that did it himself, and then then went on to be a coach. So he was a really really lovely bloke, but a very good coach. Yeah, he sounds like um he, he had that caring um mentality anyway with the job that he did. Uh, so yeah, it sort of crossed over to that sort of person in his coaching as well. It sounds like it. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, great and. What were, well, who were the runners that were knocking around during your day in that stable? Um, well, in the actual stable side of it, you know, like there was some, when I first started, there was obviously a lot of other runners around. But uh, I, I know, like, you know, my poor old Colin Oliver, you know, that he passed away recently, you know, about two years ago. He, um, he was, a, you know, one of someone who used to really enjoy training with a lot in, in Albert's squad. We, we did a lot of, training together he came down from the northwest coast at about probably the age 16 17 and uh didn't know a lot of people down here but you know through albert squad we, you know we, we sort of did a lot of things together um you know there's dean giblin back then mike dalton uh, i'm just you know that, that sort of there's so many others you know like but those sort of probably the ones which were the, the longer term runners with albert but he had you know a very big squad yeah, great. Uh, we all trained together. That was that was the one thing about uh, Albert was that he, when we did train together, it was for everyone's benefit. It wasn't just for you know to say the person, you know, the number one runner. You know, he's treated everybody as um, as equal, and so he would always he would never he'd always do a session which helped everybody uh, in different ways, sort of thing. So great. we. we um, did train, you know, did virtually most of our track sessions were all together, but we just all accept what times we were going to do for that particular rep. You know, it wasn't the idea to just try to beat people. It was more doing it in, in the way to, um, that, you know, to get to a certain level, you need to go to a certain pace. So, but we helped each other a lot. Yeah, great. And was your, was your season very much structured? So the cross country, that was geared towards the winter and then and the road race season and then you'd go to the track is that how it was worked 
Well, once I started running at a reasonable level, my training probably didn't vary much throughout the year. I could always try and, you know, get, do a morning run. Like I used to live out of, out of Brighton and uh, that was a really good place for running. It, it had a had a nine, nine, well, I keep talking miles because that sort of, you know, to say, you know, said there's a nine mile loop, which I used to do every morning. And uh, it's, it, it had some hills in it. And I could sort of do that early in the morning. And, um, you know, I was doing that virtually every day, you know, certainly weekday. And then, it, then, so that would be in the winter or summer. And then you'd always be at the track, basically winter or summer. So even when I was doing winter training, um, we still did most of the uh, track sessions. Where actually, you know, we did, we did use the domain track a lot. Um, because yeah, they were under lights. You know, we used to sometimes do kilometres and two kilometres around the domain on the road. But generally, there wasn't a big difference for me between summer and winter. It just depending on you know more to do what your races were. You know, it would vary. Yeah, and and what sort of mileage were you up per week? <clears throat> I used to try to, I used to try to get to you know average about hundred miles, which is one hundred sixty kilometres, and that would be. By doing nine miles, which I think is 13, 14 kilometres, I think, uh, that's obviously a reasonable start, you know, if you do that five times a week. So the other, it, it took the pressure off for the, for the other sessions. You could have a bit more quality sessions. Yeah. And then I'd, I'd usually do a longer run on the Saturday or the Sunday. If I wasn't racing, I'd do it on the Sunday. So, yeah, that's what I try to do. But of course, every now and again, um, you know, you have a little niggle, so you'd, you would uh, ease back a bit. But I used to keep a running diary. You know, I've got loads of them in a box somewhere. So I used to, I used to obviously be quite meticulous about to try to get to the hundred miles. But I, you know, I was keeping a thing about where I am at this point. Um, and then I would everything I'm saying, oh, you've got to have a day off, and then that would mean I wouldn't make it that week. But yeah, <laughs> he, he realised that wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't worth it just trying to get there for the sake of it. Yeah, and you were pretty well 100 miles throughout your whole career, or did that, when, when this injury came up, was it, a, was it like a little bit less and you were struggling? Or? Yeah, I think once I started getting trouble with that sort of runner's knee, um, obviously, I think, well, also I did, I moved, some, I moved from Brighton, which was really good for um, my training. I sort of moved to a different area where I lived sort of up a hill, so to go anywhere, I had to go down the hill. And it was all right coming back up, but there was quite a lot of downhill work, which I think aggravated, you know, the, uh, you know, the meniscus hole, you know, like a runner's knee, because I think jarring, it felt like it was jarring it. And so I think, unfortunately, the last probably year or two years of when I was running, I was never really be able to get, you know, my proper training in because I'd get, you know, I'd get sore again and I'd go and see the physio and yeah. just a bit of a, an ongoing cycle. And then, you know, until... If it got resolved, yeah, what it was, and then at least I knew. Yeah, and did you did you have a key session that you did throughout your career, and you go, oh yeah, you knew what sort of form that you were in, or? Um, sometimes I used to do by myself, like, like sometimes I might go up to trap and do say two five k's, and try and do them both under fifteen. And yeah. so if I was able to do that, then I knew that I was reasonably fit. Um, I used to enjoy doing the 2K reps, 1K reps. Um, 
but you know the difference would be rather than go any faster you just reduce your recovery you know so you'd have a lot less in between you know like you do um you know do a thing then sort of have a minute then maybe say 45 seconds rest and, you know so it, by reducing your rest in between each session each um rep means that you're you know you can it'd be more like to stick a race pace you know it's uh, then, then sort yeah. of doing having longer breaks and and, and running much faster than, than you'd ever run in a race it's not a lot of help for you sort of thing yeah so you are you are really looking for the fitness side of things off a short recovery and w- yeah. would that be like a minute or something like that yeah from memory I, it certainly would be a minute um sometimes if you're coming off something you know have a big race you might have yeah, you know, sometimes you'd get you to do say 600s, you know, but you know, you just reduce the length, you know, so it gives your body a little bit more time to recover. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I suppose the track sessions, you'd know how you feel, how you are, but how easy it was, you know, how hard you had to push to get a certain time. Yeah. And did you enjoy one or the other, the track or the road? What was your favourite? <clears throat> I guess. Um, I used to enjoy the track now and again, but the big issue with the track, often you'd have trouble wind. Like there was, uh, yeah, the domain, often you'd get a windy day there. I know St. Leonard's often would be a shocking place for wind. You know, uh, I never ran a 5,000 metre there once and every every time it went round, you'd hit, hit, a, hit a hurricane sort of thing. And then, so yes, that's the trouble with the track. Whereas on the road, um, you can have a headwind the whole way and all that, but it doesn't seem to be as such a, mentally is hard when you're on the road uh the weather's bad you sort of um yeah different scenery and cha- things change which is yeah, really good because on yeah. the track if you're having a hard day you know it's going round and round and round and uh and you know there's going to be the wind hit the wind again it's so the answer to the question i'd say i'd probably slightly prefer the road yeah cool and so you you would have progressed this is this is probably what i think anyway so you, you did you crest progressed from 15 to five to 10 and then got out a little bit further as you got older. Is that, is that how you did it or were you racing those distances straight away? Um, I, I probably ran my first marathon probably about 24. So yeah, probably would have um, moved on to the road a bit later, you know, but I didn't sort of probably run at my best till it was about 28, 29. Yeah. Um, so I probably initially would have done more, track um, racing and then i did cross country in the in the winter and but a lot of the cross country you know it was occasionally on the road but generally a lot of it was you know over paddocks and stuff like that so i think it wasn't i don't think you had so much opportunity to run the roads as much you know back in the late in the 80s and all that it was it was, it was either cross country um or you know, they didn't have a lot of those big fun runs back then. You know, part of the casino run would, would have been going, but uh, generally it's not like today where you can do a lot more road racing. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned the cross country just then. On the northwest coast, uh, the Poochable CT, if you're a junior or anyone growing up, that's, that's what we choose to do. Mm. Um, I know that you've turned up a few times um, to the cross country club at Poochable CT. Did you want to um, go for a few, few races that you've completed there and some of your best performances? Yeah, I, 
I did come up, um, you know, quite a few. I did come up quite a few times uh, for racing. It was always something, um, you know, because I did live down in Hobart. It, it was a, um, uh, you know, quite a long drive to go up. So I'd, I'd you know, often drive up on the day because because uh, um, I knew that there were always well-run events and that they, you know, they'd have, you know, sort of big, um, you know, a lot of people running it and that. So on for that side of it, I thought it was good to go up there and run it. Um, I remember that there's probably a couple that I remember. Um, one was the Winyard to Bernie, uh, Winyard to, did Winyard, was it to Bernie? It wasn't the feature yeah. race. Yep. Yep. Um, I think I ran that a couple of times. I think the first time I ran it, I was the back marker and I think I came, I think I came second or third. I can't remember, but I was sort of, you know, a little, uh, yeah, probably second or third, but then another, but the following year, I, I actually was able to win it actually because there was a headwind. Yeah. Which okay. really helps the back markers, you know, cause I think that the, I think the year when I, the year before when I sort of came second or third, I think the person who ended up winning was quite, had a quite a big lead. You know, they sort of, uh, you know, had a, you know, I don't know how, what time they started the race, but they had a, certainly a, a bit of a lead at the start. But whereas when there's, when there's a headwind, um, I think the handicap systems, you know, don't, you know, they sort of, those races, um, you know, more beneficial for the back markers who are a little bit perhaps used to running into headwinds and all that. So I remember doing that. Um, another great one I did, I think was a, I think it was about 25 kilometer race. It, it could have been called the Ironman. Yeah, um, yeah, that'd be. I'm not sure exactly where it was now, but it was a great, but certainly it was a hilly course. Yeah, and uh, I, th I did notice that some people weren't happy about people from up south coming up. <laughs> and right. Okay, I can imagine. <laughs> uh, probably because they they had good prizes and all that, and you know, and you know, and they may have thought it's hard to handicap people who come from elsewhere you know because you don't you know you don't see them every week so i think so i think the handicappers tend to give you a bad handicap because they didn't know how you were in relation to other people but i remember that ironman race um i, I was actually probably at one of my you know at my at the fittest time on career i think and uh i ended up winning it you know the actual race and uh then i I actually won the handicap as well, which surprised quite a few people. And then just to top it off, I actually won the raffle. Oh no! And, and I felt, I felt I had to felt like leaving. I thought, oh my goodness! You know, I could see people looking. They they were so disgusted. I ended up winning the raffle. <laughs> I can imagine. It, it's a, it's a typical north versus south thing, isn't it? <laughs> it was it was all a good laugh, but it was funny yeah. that I couldn't leave when I won the raffle. But uh, oh, but they were so so well run. You know, like it's yeah it was very you know all the officials are really good um uh, the road marshals yeah um another thing i noticed which is a bit different was that whenever i used to run i used to like running in the, on just virtually in the middle of the road or to the side so it's less camber yeah and remember that created a few issues for the uh the race officials because they like people to be right in the gutter yeah and, uh, whereas down south it wasn't an issue they basically if there's no car coming the other way that you could run in the sort of the middle of the road and then you'd move over, you know, yeah. or, you know, uh, and they'd have signs saying runners coming and all that. But no, that was something which uh, um, they weren't too happy about. But uh, I sort of persevered because I don't, you know, it's 
when you're doing lots of miles, you try to avoid the camber because that makes yeah. such a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it just promotes injury sometimes, doesn't it? Running on that uneven surface. Mm. And I was actually going to mention that because I still, <laughs> there's a few older runners that remember you running and, and that's the first thing that they actually say, well, Russell, yeah. you ran here and ran straight down the middle of the road. So, so yeah. it's funny that you mentioned that. So yeah. <laughs> that's gold. And, yeah. and the Ironman course that you mentioned as well, that's, that's one of my favourite long runs I do on the coast here. So it's, um, it's got a bit of everything, hasn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, no, cool. It's a, it's a beautiful course. I remember I was being followed by someone um walker uh, i'm not sure his name he had an official there called someone walker and he was uh keeping an eye on me because I, I think at the start i was probably the back marker right um and so you had always had someone behind you and uh because i had no idea what the course was you know i just you know I'd go around the corner there's a big hill yeah <laughs> <laughs> run up the hill you know like in some ways not knowing the course meant made it a little bit easier in a sense because yeah. some, some people, they know a big hill's coming. They might, you know, affect how they, they, they approach it sort of thing. I can imagine. And I'm going to change it up a little bit. We're going to talk about your, your kids now. And they're, um, they're very, very musical. You must be very proud of uh, what they've done and, and what they're doing. Did you want to uh, tell the listeners a little bit about this? Yes. I'm, um, well, when I first stopped um, running, I, you know, one of the things I had was... Uh, all this time in my hands, and uh, the uh, Declan Hugh, my twin boys, they um, sort of both musicians. Um, but, you know, when they were probably about 13, 14, they used to go down the market, Salamanca Market, every weekend and busk with their cousin Hannah, who was the fiddle player. And they had this little Celtic band there called the Foley Artists. And I used to go down there every Saturday and sell CDs for them. And so I had this really good job going down there and uh, help them set up and they would be performing. I'd be selling CDs to all these overseas tourists, have a, a Guinness outside Irish Murphy's, watch uh, uh, later in years, used to watch you doing your jogging with the uh, chainsaws and the, uh, yeah. <laughs> it was a really good atmosphere down there. So um, they both um, sort of moved on from there and um, both, uh, university training at the conservatorium and now they do a lot of weddings they uh well unfortunately it's a pretty bad time at the moment they had a lot of weddings sort of suspended and cancelled and pushed off pushed into the future but um my new role now is roadie russ right so i uh, go along with them to all their weddings generally one one a week during the season and uh, help them set up generally keep an eye on them while they're uh, performing um setting up putting things away so um yes it's 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 really been a great thing for me to watch them um develop as musicians and uh now they're you know say very you know very professional now with all their um with all the work they do and and i'm just lucky i'm able to sort of be part of it great and i um i actually remember them so this is how I first met you anyway. Um, didn't know that you ran, but I knew your name. And then we suddenly got talking that day. Um, but I, I remember seeing them from a young age to when they were growing older and the improvement each week was great to watch. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. No, um, they still do some Celtic stuff. At, at, um, at the, at the, you know, sometimes, you know, it's, it's one of those things which lots of people like. 
but uh, but they do you know so much other they've really sort of branched out to all, to all sorts of different music now but um yes they were um very good days down at salamanca market but uh they probably haven't been going down there now for about three or four years yeah things change people move on to other things yeah yeah no you must be you must be very very proud of them anyway yeah very proud and they're both actually very good athletes as well um they were good at running but they moved but they moved into soccer where so you know when i was younger i moved into running they sort of um they were both in both in the institute of sport for soccer for about five or six years and um so that so between that and the um, the music music i was almost a, a full-time um chauffeur um watching them and roadie and uh yeah it sort of kept me off the streets yeah nice nice it gave you something else to do when you when you couldn't run mate which is great That's right. <laughs> yeah and we're gonna uh go back to the running now so correct me if i'm wrong but in 1989 you finished uh third in the gold coast marathon and ran 215 did you want to uh tell the listeners a little bit about this race and how it unfolded for you yeah well basically it was uh the gold coast was always a wonderful race to go up to uh, i used to go up there for the half marathon you know quite often but this particular year it, it was just um brad pitt came first and I thought it was a Brad Pitt, not Brad, no, Brad Camp. <laughs> oh, Brad Camp, not Brad <laughs> oh yeah. 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 He just ran an amazing race, you know, he just, yeah. but anyway, I was coming second and uh, it was about uh, less than a, probably less than a cl- half a kilometre to go. And I started to get a little cramp in the, in the right, in the, one of the hamstrings. Then um, Pat Carroll sort of came on my shoulder and just went past and I thought, oh, shall I push it or not? No, I'm, I'm quite happy with my time, you know, but I, don't, you know, I didn't want to get a cramp and then, you know, and uh, maybe lose more time. So I ended up coming third and then I realised that if I pushed a bit harder, he, for him going past, he, he won extra, quite a lot more money. So I didn't know there was money involved in, in that, that particular race. But yeah. it, was a, um, it, was a very, it was a very warm day, um, but... That's, I think that's the same year that I did my best half marathon, which is 62.44. So I was in pretty good wow. nick. So I was hoping to go faster than 2.15, but, uh, but in the end of the day, I was, I was happy with that time. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, yeah, that was 1989. That was quite a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, not, not that long ago, but <laughs> still, amazing time. And um, going by the rankings that we got, with Athletics Tasmania, that sits at number two all time. Uh, were you were you aware of that or? Well, the two fifteen. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Like my best half marathon time. It's not actually even the, in the book, so I don't know right. why. Because um, I ran this uh, half marathon in Tasmania, sixty two forty four, and um, it was actually it was Ames. What um, Alan Ryder was the. Um, the race director and he's actually was actually Ames qualified to uh you know to to make sure that it met, met him with their criteria and it did all that passed all that then it was years and years later i noticed it wasn't um in in, in, a, in a list and I, I think it was it was listed in some in tasmania but not anywhere else and apparently it wasn't submitted elsewhere oh. so that, that, was, that was a bit disappointing because um but uh 
you know that when with that time because because I think that was probably my best performance probably was was that and and uh, the Melbourne Marathon once and I'm really happy that I won that I think 1990 that was uh, um, you know I've, I've run that three or four times so it was really nice to win that race so but probably uh, the two highlights I've got is probably the uh, winning the Melbourne Marathon in 1990 and yeah. um, and that half marathon uh, time because at the time it was fastest in Australia but then subsequently Monaghetti beat it okay and I expect others to beat it now yeah yeah well not a bad like to beat it anyway is it no yeah <laughs> and uh I wasn't aware about Melbourne so you actually won that race in 1990 yeah I think the year before I came second and then I won it in 1990 it was it, it was the last year of when it was Frankston to Melbourne Okay, and it turned out, which probably to my advantage, it turned out I had to had to headwind the whole way. It was a it was a warm day, but it was a headwind, which and I was quite happy to run into headwinds. Yeah, um, I know some years people run it, it was a tailwind. Um, you know where where everyone can run well when it's a tailwind, but when it's a headwind, you know your strength can sort of come into a bit more. So your time, I think I only ran two twenty, I think it was. Yeah, so it wasn't like. Um, yeah, I think it was it might have been. I think it was two twenty, or it might have been two nineteen. So it wasn't a particularly fast time, but it was a headwind all the way. But it really there was a there was a, a couple of Russians in the race, and towards the end they just um, combination of the heat and the wind they dropped off. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was a, a great. Um, I was really happy with that. Um, as a result of that. Those couple, they, they had a, a relationship with Lake Kawaguchi in Japan. Okay. And I did a couple of, um, I ran, went there twice and raced over there. So as, as because, because um, I was, I've the, when I won it and also the year before I was the first Australian. So the first Australian always went to Lake Kawaguchi to, to, to race over there, which was an amazing experience running around Lake Fuji. Yeah, great. Um... And the standard is just unbelievable over there, isn't it? There's so many runners that, that run quick times. Yeah. Well, thing about Lake Kawaguchi, um, I think generally about Japanese runners, um, some of them are, they all look a million dollars. They all look like they can run um, sort of 210. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and some of the, uh, so when I was, the first time I went to Lake Kawaguchi, I saw these people, amazing track suits and stuff like that, you know, and looking really fit. And, uh, you know, and that, but when the race actually started, uh, most of the people that were competitive were people from overseas. Yeah, wow, um, okay. But then people were finishing in four hours, you know, like it's, it was who, who were dressed, you know, sort of, they take it very seriously and they look really good. Uh, but they, there's a very high, there's a big difference. You know, people, a lot of people were running that sort of time. Um, so it was, um, but when you're running around this lake, look up and there's Mount Fuji with the snow on the top. It was just oh, wow. very beautiful. Yeah. Amazing. Um, and how did you go in that race? Um, one year I, I came second or third, I think it was. Yeah. And they, they the second time I went, I only I, I had a, the London Marathon coming up um, 
it might have been that World Cup one. Um, but, you know, I had another I had another marathon coming up in about eight weeks, and so I only did twenty five kilometres. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I was leading when I when I sort of pulled out, but I I thought I'm going to go half of twenty five kilometres and see how things are going. I thought, oh no, I, you know, wish I wish I'd pushed on, really. Yeah. Yeah. And. And I was going to get to 1991. You represented Australia in the Marathon World Cup. Uh, did you want to unpack that for me a little bit and uh, how how that came about and, and how you got selected? Um, well, I was probably selected once I ran my 215. I, you know, it, that's sort of a time where you get um, lots of sort of invites to, to, to overseas marathons where they would, you know, an overseas federation would invite, um, you know, the Australian federation to send a runner. Um, whereas the people that ran, say, 210, they would get invited, plus they'd get lots of huge, big appearance monies okay. to, to perform. Whereas the 215 level, you would you would get there, they'd, you know, you'd pay for you to go, accommodate you and... Um, and uh, and you could sort of get so much per day, you know, like expenses. But the um, but this particular one, the, the London Marathon, um, because I, I, it was a I was representing Australia, we we stayed in a really nice sort of hotel right close to the start, which was good because I'd run it previously, and you have to catch buses and trains to get there, you know, because no, you can't take cars there. So it was a real. Um, by the time you got there and started the race, you're tired because you you've had to get from one side of London to another, whereas this particular year was, um, you know, we're staying right near in a hotel, which is really good. Um, it's a beautiful race, the London Marathon, you know, right, you know, going right through all the uh, um, tourist spots that, of London, around the Cuddy Sark and um, you know, through along the mall and stuff like that. It's, 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 it was an amazing race. I think I finished... Uh, I was sitting. I think I was in the. I was sitting in the top fifty. Yeah. Uh, maybe the top twenty-five. Um, and I, I think around two nineteen for that particular race. Yeah. Which I was hoping to run faster, which often, you know, often is the case. You know, when you have a marathon, um, how you feel on the day makes such a big difference. You know, you, if you're not feeling quite right, you know, it's a long way. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. It can uh, only be. Feeling off one yeah. percent, but one percent over forty-two right. k's. So. Uh, <laughs> but it was, it, a, it can be it was a very enjoyable race. Um, um, I think I've run it three times. Okay, so it's, it's a race which I really did, enjoy, really did like. Great. And, um, so the fact it was a World Cup meant that uh, you know it was, it was a team event as well. So yeah, um, there was probably about half, you know three or four Australians in the team. Um, so it's it good being in a team. Yeah, yeah. running's. Uh, in an individual sport so so it is good to do something like that when it's uh when you're actually running for a team yeah great and and who was in that team at, at that at the time Jeez, honestly, i <coughs> trying to think back then yeah <laughs> who, uh, i've put you on the spot yeah I, um yeah because that was it was quite a long time ago um you know i'm not sure if there's anyone um like People like the world, there wasn't Monaghetti, um, yeah. people like that, because when I was running, Monaghetti and um, Deke were you know, obviously number one and two in Australia. So, and basically one and two in the world, you know, they were just, um, 
just you know just that step up they were just amazing runners so it was a really for an era for, for anyone in trying to be a top marathon runner in australia in it is probably one of the worst countries to be in you know, yeah. <laughs> you know someone that ran say 215 in australia um, if you ran that somewhere else in most other countries that's would be one of the you know would be much higher whereas of course these days the times just come down so much it's just you know different world than when i was running but i think uh, there was definitely two tens running quite regularly when back in the day i was running but you know other people yeah but yeah no i can't remember exactly who was in the team but uh i know at the time i did appreciate them yeah, <laughs> I'm still yeah. Bad, I don't remember. <laughs> that's all right <laughs> I, I could probably look that up for you and no find it <laughs> yeah no, awesome. And uh, what did your training look like when you were in, in marathon phase? Were you were you bigger mileage than the 160 or? No, I think I never really went much above that um, because I found that consistency, as I mentioned before, is probably one of the, the most important things about training. Um, and the other um, sort of philosophy, I suppose, is is you look at your, 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 you try and put your training around what your racing speed's going to be so that, um, you know, there's not much point in, in trying to train for a marathon and try and run, you know, 60 second pace. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's not relative to what you're doing. And so by doing, trying to get to 100 miles a week, it meant that you had a lot of, um, you know, pers- you know, sort of, cons- um, what's the word, um, stamina, sort of, built the stamina up for running. But to, to be able to run well over varying distances, you had to have, you know, good leg speed. Yeah. So um, I'd always try to do my training sessions faster than race pace, but not much. Yeah. The only times I changed with that was if I was doing, one to say, run, say, 10K and 5Ks, which where you did need a lot more speed. Um, I used to, I watched a film by um, Sebastian Coe once where he was doing, he used to do these 800 metre reps with about two minute recovery and his father used to push him in the car. Yeah. You know, well, as in follow him behind. <laughs> and uh, with the car behind him, he was able to run much quicker than uh, he would normally do because the car sort of, you know, gave him a bit of, uh, <clears throat> uh, sort of kept him on pace. Yeah. So I didn't really have anyone that was prepared to drive in a car like that. So I used <laughs> yeah. to do uh, 800 metre reps on a, out of Brighton on a slight incline. Right. And it was just enough so you could really, you could, I could run um, 800 metres in two, you know, in two minutes. Yep. It was just slightly downhill. And then I could, then I'd run back up the hill and do it again. So I was doing reps at it where it was good for my stamina, but my leg speed was really good because if you're running uh, comfortably two minutes for 800 meters if it was too steep it would be really bad on your legs but just having a very gentle downhill yeah. so it meant you could really um, open up so that was probably the, the the training i'd do would be really helpful or if i knew i had a fast 5k at some sort of coming up that was good for that but you had to judge how often you did it because it kept you know the fact it was slightly downhill it also was very jarring on your legs so it was good for your leg speed so that was 
it was in a way, it was, it's sort of a cheating way in a sense to get your legs speed up. Because if you try to do 800 meters on the track, you know, you'd be sort of sprint, you know, it'd be, you know, race, trying to race it in a sense, you know, like it's not, it, it wasn't, you know, you're not sort of doing it within yourself in a way. Whereas when you're running on a slight downhill, you're, um, it's still hard work, but you're getting good results for, for it sort of thing. Yeah. So that, that was something which, looking back, was a session I enjoyed. I forgot before when you mentioned what I liked doing, but that was what yeah. I did. Great. I've actually seen that video with um with with Zeb Cole and his dad and yeah. yeah, it's not too bad, is it? No, some of the work he did was actually up hills as well though. Like he was round hills round Sheffield. Uh, but it looked it was it, it I felt that that's a really inspiring looking um training session. Yeah. Great. And I'm gonna go back to the track. Uh so you for quite a few years used to hold the I think the twenty thousand Meter record and maybe thirty thousand and the two k state record. I think I had at one stage I had two k, three k. I didn't have five. Right. I had Ten, twenty, and thirty, and up on the track. Yeah. Yeah. And then the I think my three thousand meters was about I don't know eight seven, some figure like that. I can't remember right. exactly. But it was around about that, and. I think the day I tried, because back then there weren't a lot of 3Ks initially, you know, when I was first running. So didn't have a lot of opportunity to do 3Ks. So one one week I actually, um, there was a 3K on and I did it. And I did that time. Um, other times I tried to beat the time, but it might be a bit windy and stuff like that. But then it got to a stage where later when I, towards, you know, when, towards when I was sort of nearly finishing, they seemed to have 3K on every week. You know, they used yeah. to, they became a lot more. So you had more opportunity, I suppose, to try to beat that record because it lasted for quite a long time. And then someone eventually beat it. Um, um, I don't know if yeah, so I can ever beaten the 20 or the 30 or not. I don't know. Um, yeah, so my close mate, Josh Harris, is actually listening tonight. I think he took those records away from me. Uh, so. So was that a um, was that an organised event when you did that, or was that just something? Uh, you I think I did that. I was doing a. Um, I think it was longer than thirty k run for some reason, but I, they, timed me at twenty, and then at thirty. Then I'm not sure exactly what the final distance was. Okay. Um, but I think it was just one of those things which was on, um, and for the only ever time, it was. Uh, I, I can never remember. I'm not sure. I think it might have been an hour run. That's oh, right. Yeah, I did okay. hour run. So I actually held the hour run as well at one stage. Oh, great. So I think I did the hour, and then yep. they, they timed it 20, then at 30, and then whatever it was at the hour. Yeah. And then great. I'm not sure how many kilometers I ran. Mate, I, I, I can't imagine myself doing 50 laps, so that's amazing effort. I can't. Oh, I just don't have the stamina or, or the concentration for that. So that's awesome. But one of the things with track, a lot of people found track running very difficult because they, they thought it was um, <clears throat> you know, a bit boring, which is, you know, but I, I found that I would, if you, if you just sort of focus on things when you're running, you, 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 the laps do go by. Yeah. You know, either of us looking at, you know, initially the start of the race, looking at someone's race number, just looking at that um, and not looking at what's going on around. So you sort of, think about your forming look at that or you um and if you have any out the front you 
each lap you look to see where someone else is at a relative point so you know where they're going so it's it is in some ways some people found it very mentally boring doing it but it but if you get into sort of really focused you're able to um you know it's not as bad as a lot of people think i think they give it a you know i don't think they give it enough uh enough chance yeah yeah no it's um I, I guess, like you said, I guess if you can uh, concentrate on things up ahead, it's probably not as bad as you think. Um, yeah, cool, cool. And so you are pretty fond of your Guinness. Uh, did you want to tell the listeners a little about this and, and, and the group that you actually run within Hobart? Yeah, I'm, um, I, I'm a, a lover of Guinness. Uh, I'm in this group called the Guinness Appreciation Society Hobart. And we uh, we meet once a week, and we uh, have a, a few Guinnesses and talk about Guinness. And but generally, it's a bit like a a men's shed in a way. For me, you know, for a lot for a lot of us, you know, we're sort of three, at least three of us have known each other since high school, and yeah, so it's right. sort of been lifelong sort of friends, um, plus other good friends we've met along the way. Um, generally, it's not a huge club. You have about you know, 10 people, 12 people turn up. But one of our highlights actually was uh, two years ago, eight of us went to, did a tour of the UK. Uh-huh. There was, uh, we went to, uh, and well, actually Europe, we called Euro Tour 80, 2018. We, um, we went away for three weeks and we, we went to, initially went to London. The, the quest was to find out where the best Guinness was. Oh, brilliant. Uh, we started off in, um, <clears throat> Uh, London and uh, I previously knew that the best in the UK is called the Toucan in, so- in Soho. So we started there to get the the, te- the you know the taste the taster, and then we had um, the three nights in London, different pubs. Uh, then we went down to Averbury, which is uh, near Stonehenge, where there's a pub inside a, a, a ring of all the big stones. It's a, um, then we went to um, Dublin. For ten days, right. Then we went to Amsterdam. They went to Bruges. And then back to London. So beautiful. We we um, we uh, felt the best beer generally overall. We'd have to say was probably standard. Would be would have to be in Ireland. Yeah. Uh, but we really liked the uh, the toucan in in London. So it was a, it was a great experience, and uh, we were planning to go again next year. Yeah. Oh, no, this year. I think uh, because of the COVID thing, we're not going obviously now. So yeah. we, we think we'd have put off another 12 months. But yeah, it's a group that uh, get together and we do enjoy Guinness. And, uh, but we do try to drink responsibly and we try not to drink and drive. So Great. Oh. And whereabouts do you meet on a weekly basis? Um, we, generally, we've always um, been at Irish Murphy's. Yeah. But they're actually closed at the moment on Wednesdays. So we've the last six eight weeks we've been going up to uh, Soho, which is up. Um, um, but what, during the lockdown, we actually did it weekly on Zoom. Oh, really? Uh, Great. We, we all had a Zoom um, meeting with our um, have a, a Guinness and and to have have a chat. So we kept the group going, and at seventeen fifty nine. Every Wednesday, we always toast out the Guinness because 1759 was when uh, Guinness was uh, first brewed. 
Yeah. So we always toast Arthur at 1759. So Brilliant. Uh, Brilliant. No, that's awesome. It's always good to talk to uh, to someone or mates anyway, isn't it? It's, uh, it's yeah, a form of therapy. Right. So. Very good for mental health. Yeah, yeah. Great. Oh, so, oh, what have I got here that I want to ask? Um, so what is one piece of advice that you'd give to runners finishing or or just starting in the sport or being at it for a while? Uh, well, I think um, obviously, you know, obviously one would be keep persevering because um, like when I, when I first started running, it, it, yeah, it took quite a while before I got to a stage where I sort of stepped up a bit, you know, um, it would have been easy to be discouraged, you know, particularly when you first start. Because you know, running can be difficult. You know, it's hard. You know, the weather often it's out in terrible weather, and and you know, it's very easy to think of an excuse why not to train. So you know, so persevering through those difficult times is is really good. Um, you do have to expect that um, it does take hard work because you know it is true that you've you've got to sort of push yourself. Um, and expect to be tired, you know, if you're trying to become, you know, in, in, improve your um, pace and stuff like that. And you, but, you know, you've also got to set goals to so that you actually train to a certain thing. So if you you set goals that, that I want to reach a certain to a certain time, um, and, and focus on that, and then if you do get that, then you then and try and incrementally do it. it Probably the the worst thing you can do is to uh, overtrain because um, if you do that, then you you get injured and then you you've got to start again. So you're better off setting a longer term goal. And um, you know we talked before about you know every now and again we have rest days because you know my coach Albert would say, oh, I think you you look a little bit tired now. Um, ease back a little bit so you just got to you know listen to your body I suppose and think well if I go you know yes if I go out you know I might meet my target for um how many miles I want to do or kilometers I want to do this week but if, if you're feeling not quite right then just ease back a little bit so that you'll you, you can go again tomorrow so so with that one piece of advice is probably about four things but uh yeah no there's some really great points there mate um but I think as you get older you learn about your body a little bit more as well mm. Yeah, great, great. And what are some values that you live by as a person in your day-to-day life? Um, well, I think, um, as I mentioned before, when, when I first started running with, with Albert, it sort of, um, it taught you things like, you know, like persevering about a sort of uh, mental strength, um, loyalty to you know training mates um because you when you train with a group of runners you become you know it teaches you how to get on with people you know people that might necessarily may be your rivals or whatever um you know you you know you've got to respect them and train with them and uh so so my personal values are i think um you know like to be loyal to, to to friends um be there when people uh, need you, um, you know, my, and do what you can for your family because um, 
you know, that's really one of the things I enjoy doing most is, you know, particularly now, what the now is, help, you know, being involved with, with the, the musicians, you know, it's, it's a great thing being able to help them in a certain way, whereas they could, they could do it without me, but they, it's, you know, it just makes it a little bit easier for them, me helping them. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So my values are would be that the family values and and loyalty to friends. Yeah. And and knowing you personally, mate, I can see that, and just watching from the outside how close you are with your friends and 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 what you do for your family when they were busking and watching them perform perform it was uh it, it was really good to watch. So awesome. Yeah. Um. So, what are some mantras that you live by, mate? Well, I've always said a good shop is a short shop. Yep. I hate going shopping, so if, if, if ever uh, I go, I need to. I like to know beforehand what I want. I want to go in there and get it and leave. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I, when I used to go and buy, because when I used to run, time is precious. Yeah. So I think going shopping, walking around, tying your legs. Stuff like that is the worst thing I'd hate. I'd, I'd rather go for a 10-mile run <laughs> than walk aimlessly around a shop. Um, and the same when I was at work. You know, short meetings are good meetings. Generally, yeah. I, I don't like to waste time. Um, I think in some ways it, it makes it harder to relax in a sense because you, uh, you're always used to doing You feel you have to be doing something, you know, and... Uh, so sometimes you can do things to excess, you know, because you, um, so yeah, so even though my mantras are short, you know, try, I try not to waste time. Um, that's the only one I can think off the top of my head now. Yeah, <laughs> that's all right. And closing, closing out today, do you, do you still keep a, a keen eye on the running yourself? Um, certainly. I kept an eye on the international stuff. Like I used to really enjoy watching Mo Farah. Like I, I lost a bit when I stopped, first stopped running, it, you know, I sort of pulled away from it a bit because I was, you know, disappointed. I couldn't do it sort of thing. And uh, then I got into other things and, and I felt that the, um, yeah, so I, I kept an eye out and I used to always, you know, when the Olympics came around, stuff like that, always watch. But, um, but I'm sort of lost a little bit of interest of recent times because I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what your views are, but I, I don't like the way they've got these new shoes, which seem yeah. to help them. <laughs> because oh. up, until, up until recently, I actually held the women's um, marathon record. Yeah, Cause yeah. Because yeah. I, I pulled a Radcliffe had her record for, oh, geez, I don't know how many years she hit, you know, she had this record. And then... Someone's now bought it and um, beat it on those uh, with those those shoes, and the same with the, the men's marathon. Um, they're wearing these shoes now, which they reckon give you such an advantage over the you know, and, and people that can't afford the shoes. Yeah, um, I think it's a shame that, that that's happening now. It's sort of corrupting the the records. Yeah, uh, the, and um, so yeah, so and I think locally I haven't really watched a lot. I know when I first started, there were. Like I remember, I was in a race once when I first started, where I sneaked under fifteen minutes, and I was in the top ten. You yeah. know, so ten people under fifteen minutes. You know, back in those days, and then and, and I'm not sure what it is. You know, whether that's you know, I certainly wouldn't be. I don't think that's the case now. 
Yeah. Um, so it's sort of, I don't know if running is, is <clears throat> you know, I haven't been back to, to look, but I just, yeah. I just thought, uh, you know, I just, I'm a bit disappointed by the, um, you know, the, on the international scene now with these shoes. Yeah, I oh, know, and that, that's, that's, well, I know just as a runner, you felt like you needed to buy them to, to keep up as well. Um, it's like everyone's doing it, so if it's going to give me an advantage, I'd do it too. But I think it's gone too far now that they, they can't change it. Well, the rules have been changed, that they're okay, but I don't think they can make any more changes to them. No, seems, yeah, seems to be, yeah, anyway, I'm sure um, Deca Stella's unhappy as well, so. Yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah. Some of the older people like to look upon it when you, yeah, back actually I, I did read a really good story the other day um about the first ever olympic marathon i forget it might be 1906 or something it was on it was it, it turned out to be a complete fiasco they they brought runners in it's the first ever marathon it wasn't quite i think it was only about it was 25 miles it's before they made it <clears throat> and they had um the people who ran that particular race didn't have proper shoes some ran in bare feet um, some people, uh, they, they, at the time, they thought that giving people water was, would be bad for them. So they had, it was a hot day and they weren't able to drink any water. They were drinking uh, things like um, rat poison and uh, alcohol type stuff to stimulate them. And it was, it was, it sort of, um, uh, I really enjoyed reading it about how bad yeah. it was for those poor marathon runners. And, and wow. Uh, you know, they had, you know, to run a marathon is such an amazing, like, I, I take my hat off to anyone that finishes a marathon, no matter what time they do, if, if they do it in four hours, they've been on their feet for four hours. You know, yeah, like, oh, you know, absolutely. It's an amazing feat, anyone that can finish a marathon, and, uh, and I'm sort of complaining about these shoes, but then when I read this thing about how they had it back in, back then, um, you know, it's, uh, we've got, a, we do have it so much easier today than we did in the past. Yeah, we do, yeah so many things at our fingertips that necessarily aren't good for the sport. <laughs> um, thank you so much uh, for your time today, Russell. Uh, I hope the listeners have enjoyed this. I, I know I have. Um, yeah, so ladies and gentlemen, this has been Russell Foley. Thank you for having me. Enjoyed too. Take no care, worries, mate. Okay. Best, Cheers, mate. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Russell Foley. If you didn't realise, this episode was actually recorded live on Facebook during the week. I think that you would agree that Russell has a really impressive resume of personal bests and achievements. I know I picked up a few things uh, within his training that he said. And Russell is just such a top bloke. Uh, If you did enjoy it, I reckon you'd be pretty chuffed if you reached out to him on Facebook. Uh, In other things going on, Everyday Lions has $90 programs that include entry to the Ross Running Festival up until this Sunday. So if you are listening to this podcast, they're only available to the 16th of August. Please jump onto that. We also have visors for $25, which will be arriving any day now. I have been Brian Lyons, your host. This is the Everyday Lions podcast, and happy running.